Well, guys, turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Acts 20. And just a, a quick heads up, uh, the Sunday after Christmas, which uh, is going to be the 26th, or the day after Christmas, will be our Christmas service. So we'll have a special Christmas message that morning and have some things for the kids and it'll be fun. But uh, we'll be continuing in Acts today. We're going to be looking and beginning a, a three-part look at Paul's message to the Ephesian elders which are going to be covering in Acts 20, verses 17 through 38. It was going to be a two-part study. And then uh, realizing uh, the need to shorten things up, it became a three-part study. And so uh, we're only going to be covering four verses this morning or five verses. Uh, but in part one, our main text is Acts 20, verses 17 through 21. And just for some quick context, in our study last week, as we looked at the first 16 verses of Acts chapter 20, we saw Paul finally moving on from his three years of ministry in Ephesus. We saw how he uh, spent time in northern and southern Greece, that was Achaia and Macedonia. He encouraged the believers that he encountered, encountered in these various uh, areas. He also gathered a financial collection that would be a special support gift for uh, the church in Jerusalem, bringing support from all of these predominantly Gentile churches uh, in the continent of Europe over into Jerusalem, wanting to bring it into Jerusalem to help those that were living in, in great poverty and were in great financial need. And we saw the ministry team that uh, God assembled alongside of Paul, not just ministering with Paul, but these were men who uh, no doubt some of these various churches sent with Paul to help bring their uh, financial gifts to Jerusalem with Paul. And then we got this really cool glimpse of a communion service in Troas as the church there came together on a Sunday evening to break bread, how Paul preached and preached and preached into the midnight hour where a young man, Eutychus, fell asleep and fell out of a window and died. Uh, I don't think anybody this morning is going to be falling asleep in church, uh, but uh, thankfully there's you're not going to fall. If you fall out of your chair, you're, you're solid. You're only like two feet above the ground. He was three stories up. He falls out. He dies. But Paul, God uses Paul to bring this man back from the dead. He goes back up. They break bread together. They have their agape feast. They partake of the Lord's Supper together. And, and Paul keeps sharing his heart even till the sun came up. Then we saw Paul and his team finally traveling south along the southwest coast of modern-day Turkey. That was Asia Minor in that day. Saw some of the stops that they made. And then eventually ending up in a city called Miletus, which is where we're now going to find Paul having a really important and powerful meeting with the leaders of the church in Ephesus. And so with that context in mind, let's read verse 17. It says in verse 17, From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. As we saw in verse 16 last week, Paul had sailed past Ephesus, most likely because he knew if he had gone there that it would not have been a quick visit. God had done a really amazing and powerful work in those three years that 
he had been in the city of Ephesus, and no doubt there were so many people he would have loved to see, so many that would have loved to see him and spend time with him. And you can imagine it not being able to just be this really brief sort of uh, time of, uh, of sort of stay. And so he sails past Ephesus because really his desire was to get to Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And just, you know, if you're not super familiar with the Jewish calendar of feasts and when things kind of went down, Pentecost was 50 days after Passover. Paul and Luke had stayed in Philippi until the days of unleavened bread had ended. Then it took them five days to get to Troas. Then they spent seven days in Troas. Then another few days traveling from Troas to Miletus. And so already it's been around 23 days at least since Passover. Paul knows he has less than four weeks left. He's going to meet with the Ephesian elders. He's going to begin sailing across the Mediterranean Sea, making some more stops in some different places. Finally getting to Jerusalem, hopefully before Pentecost came. And yet we don't see Paul acting rushed in his interactions with others. We don't see him being impatient or frustrated with people because, you know, he had places to go and people to see. And clearly, he didn't see people as an obstacle to quote-unquote greater ministry. No, in the midst of having time-sensitive plans, he still had his plans open and yielded before the Lord. He was able to be at peace with however the Lord worked everything out. And he didn't miss the ministry opportunities that God placed before him with those that God placed around him because the people were the ministry. You know, I don't know about you, but if, if I was in Paul's shoes and everything was very unpredictable, I mean, even their trip from uh, uh, Macedonia to Troas, it, it should have been a very, it could have taken them one day to sail. But obviously the weather conditions were so poor that we're told it took them five days to get there. And you can imagine being in Paul's shoes and in his heart, he's wanting so badly to be in Jerusalem by Pentecost and, and to start feeling like, well, let's just, let's hurry things up. Like, I've got a limited amount of time. I don't know what's going to happen. Am I going to get shipwrecked again? Like, you can imagine being in Paul's shoes thinking like, guys, like, let's, let's get this going. Like, I've got, I've got to be somewhere. And yet that wasn't Paul's approach as he ministered to people. He stuck around for those seven days in Troas because he wanted to be there for their gathering on Sunday night. He, he didn't just go, hey guys, I'm here. I'm going to give you 30 minutes of my time. I'll give you an hour of preaching, but then I got to go. He preached for hours. He preached all night long. He heals Eutychus. You know, the Lord uses him to heal Eutychus. He doesn't go, and that's my cue. I'm, peace out, guys. Like, I, I got to get going. He goes back up and eats the feast with them. And then keeps talking till the sun comes up. He, he hurried to be in Jerusalem by Pentecost, but he wasn't hurried in how he interacted with people. 
And I don't know if it's the area, I don't know if it's just the day that we live in and how busy we all are and the season that we find ourselves in and all the things that are needing to get done. And there are real things on the calendar. There's time-sensitive things. Those who work know that, you know, you need to be there on time and you're going to work your shift. But how easy can it be to fill up our schedule We've got these things that are, that are there, our to-dos, that we don't leave really any margin for the Spirit of God to interrupt, to slow us down, to redirect us. And, and when those things do happen, maybe you're not like me, but I can get irritated and frustrated gosh, I had this thing that I wanted to do, and, and, and those interruptions are obstacles. They're not divine opportunities. They're seen as just merely an interruption. God, you know I've got this other thing. We may feel like these other things are the greater ministry in our lives, and then we miss the greater ministry oftentimes that God puts before us. A person that wanted a second of your time. Some situation that came up, a, 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 you know, a, a car trouble. And, and oftentimes we're so, we're so in this mode of just waiting for the next thing. We're trying to get to this next thing that we can't even slow down for a moment and go, God, what might you be doing? What, why, why are you maybe allowing this? What, God, are you trying to do through this god what kind of ministry do you have right now paul was able to slow down even though he had his schedule even though he had these desires even though he had these plans to keep his plans his will yielded before the lord I encourage us as as believers in this Christmas season, create some margin in your day for the Holy Spirit to interrupt, to slow down, to redirect. Be open in those moments. Be open when you're in a department store and things are just taking forever in the line. And you have that moment of like, I am getting frustrated that it's taking this long. Why don't they have somebody on another register to go, Lord, who might you want to, me to minister to right now? I've got, there's people in front of me and behind me. These people are captive audiences. Lord, how might you want to open a door to share the love of Jesus with somebody? Could we, could we commit to that in this Christmas season to, to say, Lord, you have my permission to interrupt my plans. Lord, you have permission to change my schedule or schedule, as some might say. I love Paul's example here. I think there's a lot for us to learn from that. Paul and his ministry team, they make it to Miletus. And now from Miletus, which is 30 miles south of Ephesus, it was a port town. Paul sends messengers to Ephesus to have the church elders. These were the the pastor overseer of these uh, 
really mostly probably house churches at this point in time to come where he was. And this meant that Paul was going to wait for a few more days from the time that he sent for these elders to then have them be able to meet up with him in Miletus. But as we move into the second half of chapter 20, in verses 18 through 35, we're going to find Paul's message to the Ephesian church leaders, the, the elder pastor. When Paul speaks later on, he uses all of these different terms to speak about the same person, the same role. And in his message, he's going to do three things. He's going to remind them of his ministry to them in the past. We're going to see this in verses 18 through 21 in our study this morning. Then he's going to point out some things about his ministry in the present. We're going to see this in verses 22 through 27, maybe 28 potentially next week. And then he's going to prepare, he's going to warn, he's going to exhort these church leaders regarding things in the future. And we're going to see that in verses 28 through 35 uh, in our first Sunday service of 2022, which is just really bizarre to even say that out loud. But let's move into verses 18 through 21, where Paul's going to remind these Ephesian elders, these church leaders of his ministry to them in the past. Starting in verse 18, uh, Luke rec recording says, and when they had come to him, he said to them, you know, from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you, and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Understand right away as we see how Paul began his message that he didn't ask the leaders of the Ephesian church to travel 30 miles by foot so that he could brag about his life and ministry. But if Paul's not being a, a braggadocious Billy here, braggadocious Bobby, I was trying to just have a B with another B. I just, Billy, if your name's Billy this morning, I just, I apologize. But if he's, if he's not being a, a braggart, like, hey guys, just let me talk about how great I was when I was with you. Like, let's talk about me for a moment. If that's not his heart, what, what is he doing? You know, I think it's, it's possible that part of what he's doing here is that he's reminding them of things that they saw to be true about his life and ministry to counteract any who might have come into the church of Ephesus in the months since Paul had left there, people who may have tried to put Paul in a bad light, tried to discredit him, to, to cloud these leaders and the rest of the believers' view of how Paul ministered so that they'd lose respect for Paul and not be able to receive from him. And this would have been a major hindrance once Paul wrote to them later on. And this wasn't an uncommon thing. Paul clearly did this in his letter to the church in Thessalonica. 
in his writings to the church in Corinth, there were people that had tried to discredit Paul to the believers there. And Paul would need to remind them of how God had worked through his life when he was with them. So it's possible that that's part of it. But regardless of that, clearly Paul's setting forth his life and his ministry, which they had known well for those three years, as an example for them to follow as they sought to shepherd Jesus' church. Paul called others to imitate him as he sought to imitate, to live like Jesus. And though he doesn't say explicitly here, you know, hey, remember I did this, so, so you do this too in this section, these reminders would have also been instructive for these church leaders so that they, they would be reminded and equipped and exhorted in how to lead Jesus' church well. And though Paul's message is specifically to church elders or pastors here, there are things here for all of us to learn from and be challenged by as each of us seek to serve Jesus, to be servant leaders in whatever sphere of influence that God has given us, as we seek to be those who serve Jesus and his church and, and point lost people to Jesus Christ. And so with that in mind, the first thing we learn from Paul's example of ministry, as we see in verse 18, is that his manner of living was known by them. Guys, Paul wasn't a hermit. He didn't follow a monastic sort of lifestyle. He wasn't reclusive or exclusive. No, Paul's life was visible and open for others to see. He made himself accessible. He was approachable and genuine. He spent time with others and was a Christ-like example to others. All things that were true of Paul from day one in the city of Ephesus. And because of that, these elders really did know Paul's manner of living, that he was an authentic, radical disciple of Jesus Christ in every aspect of his life. But I, I wonder for us, as Paul says, you know how I lived among you. You know what, what kind of person I am as I spent time with you. I, I wonder if we were to turn that on ourselves and we were to talk to our neighbor that we live next door to her, a few houses down from, if we were to talk to the people that we work with and we, say, and we would say, well, you know what manner of living you know about me. What, what, would that be a positive thing or would that be a negative thing for us? Would we be going, gosh, I wish you didn't know so much about me. Like, I wish you knew less about my life. Or, or would we go, gosh, I wish I would have been a better example to be able to say this sort of thing to someone else. But, but with that, I would, I would ask us this morning, is our manner of living known by others? Do we give people a chance to get to know us? Are, are our lives 
an open book for others to read? Are we living epistles that others could read our lives and learn about Jesus? Learn about how amazing God is. Learn about how amazing his plan is to want to save people from their sins. What do people read when they see us? What do people learn as they're around us? Is our manner of living known by others? And, And with that, is that knowledge driving people away from the Lord or drawing them to the Lord? I think there's a good example for us here that guys we would make ourselves accessible to other people how are we going to build relationships if we're not relational sorts of people if we hold people at arm's length if we stay in our house if we're just if we're exclusive with just the crew that we feel good about feel really comfortable i get it it's nice to have people that you're really comfortable with But it's those relational connections that are needed. We need to build relational equity with people to be able to have any sort of opportunity to be able to speak the truth of God's word into their life in a way that they can receive because they respect us, they know us. Paul was known. They knew about his life. And those things didn't become a deterrent, keeping them away from the Lord. It was things that actually drew them to the Lord. The second thing we learn from Paul's example of ministry, as we see in verse 19, is that he served the Lord with all humility. You know, Jesus taught that greatness wasn't seen in being served, in being over others, in having authority or a title but that greatness was seen, seen in, in being actually the servant of all, being the slave of all, Jesus said. And Paul grabbed a hold of that. When, when he knew and he had heard himself that Jesus had taught that, Paul grabbed a hold of that wholeheartedly. And he sought to live that out practically. Paul wasn't living for himself he wasn't seeking to be served he wasn't walking in pride no he was living for the lord he wanted to serve the lord and in serving the lord serving people and he sought to stay humble before the lord having a right view of the lord that led him to have a right view of himself and then a right view of others You know, pride keeps us from seeing how jacked up we really are and how good God really is. Pride actually will cause us to feel like God owes us something. In pride, we'll start to see ourselves as better than others when Paul said, hey, actually esteem others as greater than yourself. Let's, let's, let's have the mind of Christ, Paul talked about in Philippians chapter 2. Who humbled himself and took the form of a man, a, a bond slave. He humbled himself even further, going to the point of going to a cross. 
Jesus knew that humility was where exaltation from, the, from God would come. And we see that example lived out through the life of Christ, but that's the example that we see lived through the life of Paul. That's, that's things that you and I, maybe for many of us, will struggle with all of our lives. There's always going to be this wrestling match of, of seeing this pride that exists. Sometimes it's on the periphery of our character that we're constantly having to bring before the Lord and say, Lord, God, humble me. You ever find it hard to ask the Lord to humble you? Because we don't know what's going to happen if we ask it. Because that humbling may be humiliation. I don't want to feel humiliated. I don't want other people to know how messed up I am. I don't want people to know that I've not been perfected yet. Little tip, everyone already knows that. You could ask my wife and kids, they'll gladly tell you about me. Not been perfected. Not even close. But what God is doing through that, we can't even serve the Lord properly when there's not that necessary humility. Because when pride is mixed in in any way with our service, you know what our service actually is? It's self-service. When pride is mixed in, I'm serving, but at the same time I'm going, man, I hope somebody saw that. That was was pretty cool what I just did over there. I don't know if everybody saw what I just did. Paul, he lived this example of serving with all humility. You know, it's, it's easy, it's our default even in our flesh to serve our own interests. Easy to want to be served instead of serve. Easy to let pride rule in our hearts. But listen, none of those things will cause others to see Jesus in us and want Jesus because of us. I'm so thankful for the many men and women in our church who serve the Lord with all humility. Here in ministries that take place each Sunday, serving in their homes with their families and roommates, husbands and wives, serving the Lord with all humility to their spouses and then to their children. People who serve the Lord with all humility with their classmates with co-workers and customers, with neighbors and friends and even strangers. Listen, Jesus sees every bit of it. He sees your heart before him. He sees things no one else even knows about that you do in his name. And he has heavenly rewards in store. Those of you that have been serving and have been feeling discouraged even, Let me remind you, as God's word says, that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's never empty. That God's using it. He's being glorified through it. 
and he's going to reward in the heavenly realms, reward. Isn't that an amazing thing? That we get to serve the king of kings. I'm so thankful to serve alongside all of you guys. The third thing we learn from Paul's example of ministry, again, as we see in verse 19, is that it was marked by many tears and trials and opposition. Paul says the plotting of the Jews. Paul's time of ministry in Ephesus wasn't all flowers and sausages. It wasn't all rainbows and unicorns. I'm still waiting for a shirt to be made that says life's not all flowers and sausages. Because it's just one of the best lines that I've ever heard in my life. And I like to use it every so often. No, there were hard things that Paul went through that brought about not just some tears, but many tears. Do we think about the Apostle Paul being a guy who just like bawled his eyes out? When I think of Paul, I just think of him being like, he's so strong, like nothing phases him. People are like going in prison and he's just like, do your worst. You know, we don't, we don't think of Paul just like weeping often, many tears, that he endured trials and opposition, that he had many adversaries as the Jews plotted against him. Yet he kept serving Jesus with all humility. He didn't give up. He didn't turn inward. He didn't become cynical and jaded. You know, Paul shared more about how difficult his time was in Ephesus in what he wrote to the church in Corinth just a little while before he even got here to Miletus. Uh, we see this in what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. Paul says Asia, but the reference there. Uh, is actually to Ephesus. He says, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. He says, Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. Paul says, you know what ministry was like for me? I mean, God did some great things, but I don't want you to be ignorant. I want you to know that, that things weren't all just great. He says, we were burdened beyond measure. This is, to me, Paul going, we were overwhelmed. We felt weighed down under the burden of what was going on in this city. He says we were above strength. We didn't even have the strength to keep going at times. So that they despaired even of life. You know, there are times when someone shares their struggle with you and it's not helpful right you're going through something really hard and someone comes alongside you you know what i went through something and they share it with you and you're like that didn't make me feel any better at all in fact i feel worse 
than I did before you shared that thing with me. Like maybe there was, it was not hopeful. There was not some sort of positive outcome. It was just like, you just, like you just threw more stuff on me than I, I could barely even hold up as it was. But Paul, as he's saying, look, guys, like, stuff was really hard. We were burdened and beyond strength, and we despaired even of life. But as he shares just the reality of ministry, which is actually encouraging to me, I hope it's encouraging you, to you to know that the things that you go through are not, you know, it, it's not an uncommon thing, or it, it doesn't mean that you're not spiritual, or that God's not blessing your life, that God's not with you in the hard things, but to know that even the Apostle Paul, who was right smack dab at the center of God's will for his life, who lived for the glory of Jesus, that even he felt these sorts of ways that we sometimes do. And yet he had hope. He was still able to trust the Lord. And it's not Paul just going like, oh, you're having a hard time? Let me talk to you about how hard it's been for me. He's going, you're having a hard time? Me too, but let me tell you about how God showed up. Let me tell you how God ministered to me in my brokenness, in my hurt, in the trials, in the heartache, in the tears. When I was feeling burdened, when I didn't know how I was going to keep going. He says, look, those troubles actually caused me to press into the Lord. Those things actually reminded me that I shouldn't trust in myself but that I should trust in the one who raises the dead. The one who delivered us from so great a death. Paul's remembering the moment of his salvation. He says the one who does deliver us. He's looking into the present and seeing that God's hand is with him. That Jesus has never left him nor forsaken him. And he says that he trusted that he would still deliver us. Isn't that an important thing to be reminded of? Sometimes we're in the depths of things and we might be able to look back and go, okay, yeah, Lord, you showed up in the past. Yeah, Lord, you saved me from my sins, but you're not saving me from my present circumstances. You haven't delivered me from the trial that I'm going through. You haven't delivered me from the suffering that I'm experiencing. And sometimes that trouble can actually overshadow the ways that God is still delivering, still working, still showing up. That we would be people who would be able to trust in our God. Not fair-weather believers who trust when everything's great, but who trust when everything is going wrong. Do we trust that he does still deliver? Not just delivering us from an eternity in hell, but he does still deliver, and he will still deliver us. 
no amens to any of that? Like, what is happening this morning? You guys are so quiet. Proud of you kids, too. The many tears and trials and opposition drew Paul to the Lord. And there's instruction and encouragement for us in that, too. Guys, we deal with hard things. We deal with discouraging things and disappointment and sadness when we go through trials and we feel burdened at times. Feel like we just don't have any strength to continue. We experience opposition even, but we can't give up or turn inward or become cynical and jaded. We've got to keep trusting the Lord. We've got to keep serving Jesus, keeping our eyes on Jesus, staying humble before Jesus so that we can receive more of his grace. You know, when the Bible talks about humility, especially in the epistles of James and Peter, there's a link between humility and grace. Humility and being given more grace. And guys, as we humble ourselves before the Lord, as we cry out to him, we can be assured that he's got more and more grace to give us. The fourth thing, though, that we learn from Paul's ministry and his example of ministry, as we see in verses 20 and 21, is that he kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to them, teaching them publicly and from house to house, but also testifying to Jews and Greeks repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul kept back nothing that was helpful. He didn't just preach the things that he felt good about preaching. Well, I like preaching about this, so I'm just going to keep preaching this one thing. I love, to, I love to talk about the love of Jesus. I just want to keep talking about the love of Jesus. I don't want to talk about sin. I want to talk about judgment. I want to talk about the discipline of the Lord. Let's talk about his love. He's like, no, I can't back nothing that was helpful. Yeah, that's helpful. Talking about the love of Jesus is helpful. But talking about the love of Jesus to the exclusion of every other thing that Jesus talks about or that the word of God talks about is not helpful. He didn't just preach the things that he thought people wanted to hear. No, he preached what the people needed to hear, what God wanted them to hear. If it was helpful, and the entirety of God's word is, Paul preached it. He proclaimed it. He taught it, no matter how hard or easy it might have been to preach or for the people to hear and receive. I like what Bible commentator Warren Wearsby said about this. He wrote, Furthermore, Paul reminded them that in his ministry, he had not held back anything that was profitable to them. He declared to them all the counsel of God, Acts 20, 27. His was a balanced message that included the doctrines and duties, as well as the privileges and responsibilities that belong to the Christian life. In his preaching, he neither compromised nor went to extremes but kept things in balance. Paul also kept his outlook and congregation balanced, witnessing both to Jews and to Gentiles. Also, this mention of Paul that he had taught 
them from house to house could have been him reminding them that he visited and taught at the various house church gatherings that met in the city of Ephesus. But whether out in public or in someone's home, we see that Paul took whatever opportunities that he could get to teach and to testify about Jesus and that he made no distinctions, had no biases, but that he preached to all, both Jews and Gentiles. And notice in verse 21 that whether to Jews or Gentiles, he testified, he bore witness regarding the same message, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. I like what William McDonald said about this. He wrote, Without discrimination as to nationality or religious background, he preached the necessity of repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. These are two fundamental elements of the gospel. In every genuine case of conversion, there are both repentance and faith. They are the two sides of the gospel coin. Unless a person were duly repentant, saving faith would be impossible. On the other hand, repentance would be of no avail unless it was followed by faith in the Son of God. He goes on to say, repentance is an about face by which the sinner acknowledges his lost condition and bows to God's judgment as to his guilt. Faith is commitment of oneself to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. In many New Testament passages, faith alone is stated to be the condition of salvation. However, faith presupposes repentance. How could a person truly accept Jesus Christ as Savior unless he realized that he needed a Savior? This realization, he says, brought about by the convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit is repentance. And so for us, if we want to share what's truly helpful for a person's soul and where they'll spend eternity, we must testify of the same things, both repentance and faith. Not shying away from talking about sin, but along with talking about sin and the need to turn away from sin, we must also make sure that we're telling them about the hope and forgiveness and love and salvation and, and life that Jesus offers to those who put their faith, their trust in him and what he accomplished through his life and death and resurrection. Listen, you and I have what will truly help others and that's Jesus and his gospel. If we've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, a, a salvation that Jesus gave us freely in his grace, as we repented and turned in faith to him, we have something to testify about. Giving firsthand witness of what he's done for us. Like Paul, may we never keep back anything that's helpful, but proclaim and teach and testify. That means that we have to use our words to build others up in Jesus and preach the soul-saving, life-transforming gospel of Jesus to others, whether that's out in public or in a store or your workplace or in your neighborhood 
or in your home. People are in need of help. This reminds me of the Macedonian vision that God gave to Paul when he was in the city of Troas. Right? The man in Macedonia appearing to Paul in a vision and saying, come to Macedonia. Do you remember what he says? And help us. Help us. And then Paul goes over and he just sets up all these like food distribution ministries. No, he didn't do that, right? It's not that God doesn't use those things, that there's not help found in food distribution and homeless ministries and all these different things that God will use in practical ways to bring about spiritual help. But what Paul heard when that man from Macedonia said, help us, Paul tells his, 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 his team at that point in time, hey, God's calling us to preach the gospel there, to bring the kind of help that will transform someone's eternal destiny. You and I have that ability to bring that kind of help. We need to give people Jesus. This was Paul's manner of living that these elders knew firsthand already about Paul. But Paul felt it necessary to remind them about in order to instruct and encourage them to do the same. And again, there are things here for us to take and apply to our lives too. And we're going to see more of this in Paul's message as he continues uh, speaking to the Ephesian elders in our study next week. But I'm going to have the worship team come back up. I want to ask us this morning, you know, how is the Lord seeking to remind you of things today to encourage you with what he's done in the past? How, how is he wanting to fill you with hope in the present? How is he wanting to give you confidence that you can trust him with what's going to happen tomorrow if he gives it to us? You know, I, I, I pray that people will want to know and love Jesus more as they spend time with us. That we will live genuinely radical lives of discipleship that show forth the love and gospel of Jesus. That will serve the Lord with all humility. That will cling to the Lord. Trusting him through many tears and trials and opposition. And that we won't hold back anything that's helpful. But that we'll proclaim and teach and testify to others about Jesus. Calling people to repentance. A change of mind that would lead to a change of direction. Turning away from their sin. And turning in faith toward Jesus Christ. And guys, I pray that God uses us both in public and in private. That we'll see and embrace the interruptions. That we'll see and embrace the spheres of influence the Lord's given to each of us. To be servants of Jesus who lead others to want to know and love Jesus more. 
But let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I thank you for the example of Paul. Lord, those things that you worked in Paul's life, those things that Paul was just seeking to imitate Jesus as he did them. Lord, thank you that we can look to your life, Lord Jesus. See how you tabernacled among us, Lord, how you gave people access to yourself, how you didn't shy away from people's mess, but that, Lord, you were drawn to lost people, that you came not to be served, but to serve and to give your life as a ransom for many. Lord, will we give of ourselves? Lord, will we serve you with all humility? And Lord, would we trust you in the tears and the trials and the difficulty? Lord, when we're feeling discouraged and and burdened and without strength, when we're feeling disappointed and sad, Lord, when stuff is hard, Lord, would those things actually cause us to lean into you more, to press into you, Lord, to trust you, That, Lord, as you delivered in the past, Lord, you will still deliver. Because that's who you are. That's what you do, Lord. You're a deliverer. You're a rescuer. You're a saving kind of God. Lord, will we see you, Lord, in the difficulty, in the struggles, Lord, in the hardships, in the tears, Lord, grow our trust in you. Lord, grow our faith in you. And Lord Jesus, would you shine so powerfully through our lives that as people are around us, as they interact with us, Lord, that they would want you because of us, not be driven away from you because of us. Lord, use us in these days. Lord, help us to be servant leaders, Lord, who point continually to Jesus Christ, that we would be like John the Baptist in that way, that we would decrease so that Jesus, you, would increase. And Lord, if there's any this morning that have joined us, whether here in person or online, that don't have a personal saving relationship with you. Lord, this morning, would you be speaking to their hearts? God, would you be making it clear to them, Lord, their desperate need, Lord, their their sin condition, Lord, incurable from a human perspective, and yet, Lord, not impossible for you, that, Lord, you are able to save, you're able to forgive, you're able to redeem, And Lord, would those this morning who don't know you, Lord, would they see their need for a Savior, see that, Jesus, you are that Savior. You're the only Savior for humanity. Lord, would they repent of their sin? Would they see the beauty of that word repentance? That, Lord, it's a a word that can remove someone from a path of destruction onto that narrow road leading to life. And Lord, would they put their faith 
in Jesus Christ today. Put their trust in you, Lord Jesus. Cry out to you. Lord, would you meet them where they're at and save them? And Lord, we just thank you for this time. God, as we sing these songs of praise, Lord, will we be reminded of the kind of God that we have, the kind of Father that you are, the kind of Savior that you are. And Lord, would those things spill forth in our praises, in hearts of gratitude. Lord, maybe for some this morning that are feeling weighed down, they're feeling like the Apostle Paul expressed. Be burdened beyond measure, maybe some are today. Feeling above strength, despairing even of life. Lord God, would you lift heavy burdens? God, would you bring joy where there's sadness? Lord, would you bring comfort where there's brokenness? Lord, would you give wisdom where there's questions needing to be answered? Solutions being needed, Lord, that seem elusive. God, would you show up in the lives of your people and deliver? Lord, move and work and remind, Lord, each one of us that you are there. Lord, every step of the way, Lord, you're there. You never leave us or forsake us. Jesus said, you would be with us always, even to the end of the age. Lord God, we're thankful for you. And Lord, we sing these songs to you now, exalting the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, as we take the communion elements as well, God, would we just experience, Lord, that closeness of fellowship with you, that communion with you, Lord God, as we remember your body that was broken, Lord, your blood that was shed. Lord God, we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.